Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Well, again, for the third time, we are starting a brand new series. What is it? Live Radically, right? And again, we're going to go through and we're going to look at people in the Bible who had, let's just say this, a radical transformation that shook the world. They had what we call an encounter with Jesus. And let's be honest, when we have an encounter with Jesus, our life should never be the same. So starting tonight and next week and the week after and the week after, we're going to look at people and it's going to be kind of a a Bible profile and we're going to determine how these folks actually just lived radically. Now, remember what we learned, what we determined, what we talked about last week. If you're going to live radically for Jesus, all you have to do is live for Jesus. You guys with me? That's really what it is. If you're going to live radically, all you have to do is get out of bed and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I want to see you work in my life. And when you do that, all of those people around you at your jobs or or at school or whatever it might be, these are the ones that are going to go, man, you're radical. You're an extreme. Are you kidding me? Why would you pray all the time? Why would you read your Bible? Why would you witness? Why would you, I mean, look at the peace in your life. And the world would label us radical. Well, as part of our core values, we understand that we're supposed to do what, church? We're supposed to, first and foremost, love God. That has to be every breath. We sing that worship song, the breath, it's, it's God's. You realize that every blink of your eye belongs to God. It's his. Your life, every bit of you, your thoughts and your heart and the intents of your heart belong to God. And that's the first thing. Now, I wish I could say that none of the rest could happen without loving God first. But as we've learned, people can modify their behavior to love people and to do radical things without loving God. You guys tracking with me? We can definitely modify our behavior. How so? We can learn to say Christian words like praise the Lord. We can say hallelujah, amen. We can modify our behavior. We can actually love people. We can do radical things and we could we and 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 we don't may not even have the love of God in us. And I wish it could say that those things wouldn't happen without the love of God. But what will happen is eventually, church, people will burn out doing these things because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're called to love God, right? In your minds, where does that take you? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5, you know this. Moses is writing to the children of Israel, and he says, Hear, O Israel, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And right there, they'd be like, amen. And then he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all of your strength. And of course, Jesus continues on this. And so we determine, guys, that a natural byproduct to loving God with everything that's inside us of our heart and our strength and our mind and everything that in us, a natural byproduct is that we're going to love his people. Or should I say all people? We're going to love them. That's really should, that really is what should happen. And you go, well, Pastor, I love people. I just love people. But do you love those that are unlovable? Do you love those that are unlovable? The Ninevites. 
those ones where you're like, oh, and God will often do this in your life. He will often bring people in your life that are unlovable, and he says, okay, love them. God, I don't want to love them. I don't want to. God, look, they're just, they're smelly, they're stinky, they're just gross, and they just rub me the wrong way. And God says, but you're called to love them. Love all people. And much like Jonah, what can we do? We can override that part in our heart too, right? That's what he did. God gives gives to love people and and sometimes we secretly sit like Jonah and hope for their destruction. How so? Sometimes we put on a fake smile. Anybody? Just peace. Hi. And then we, oh, we're over here. Oh, I just hope you fall. I just hope you just, ugh, just, no, no, those shoes are lovely. They're really nice on you. They don't even match in color. She's colorblind. We're like Jonah. I think about this guy's Jonah, guys. He was a prophet, a man of God. But he quickly ran when he was directed by the Lord to go to Nineveh. So we love God. We love people. And listen, you go, well, Pastor, I want to really learn how to love people. Well, the best thing to do is follow Jesus' example, don't you think? He gave us the best example to love people. He did. He showed compassion on them. God, his heart broke. Did you realize that he spent all night, one night, healing people? He was tired from a full day of ministry, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. So now, after both core values, our third is to what? To live radically for God. To live radically for God. Now, I have this quote here. You can write this down. It was Irma Bombeck who once said, seize the moment. Remember all those women on the Titanic who waved off the dessert cart? Seize the moment. It took a while. It really did. It took a while. Listen, you only have, you only have one life. Called to live for God. To get up every morning and determine to walk in his ways, to love him first, to love his people. And really, guys, as a result, you're going to live radically. You're going to live radically. It was Richard Evans in Bits and Pieces who said, The tragedy of life is, that not, is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. Life. Now, before we jump to our profile this evening, I want to take a moment to talk about life, right? If we're going to ask you to live radically, to be out of control, I want, I want to take a moment to, to talk about this. Let's talk a moment to talk about life. Uh, someone actually did this. Someone calculated a typical lifespan of 70 years is spent, and he gave this estimate. Okay, 70 years, this is what we do. Now, understand, this is your life, 70 years, and out of those 70 years, these are years that you have lived 24-7. You go, what is it? Do you realize that you'll spend 23 years of your life sleeping? From 0 to 70, you'll spend 23 years, and you go, what? That's 32% of your life you're going to spend sleeping. Well, we need sleep, Pastor. Are you kidding me? We want to live radically, right? How about this? We're going to spend 16 years, 22% of our lives, we're going to spend 16 years working. 
working. You go, man, I work more than that. No, 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 24-7, seven days a week. You guys know what I'm talking about. All the way, when you add it up and estimate, you're going to spend 16 years of all of your life working every single day, 16 when you spread it out over 70 years. 23, 22, 23% of your life. Now, don't go out and quit tomorrow. I'm just giving you statistics here, okay? Did you know that 11% of our life is going to be spent watching TV? 11%, eight years of our life is going to be spent in front of TV. And I'm thinking, we're called to live radically, yet eight years of my 70s spent there going, what's on, what's on, what's on, what's on, what's on, what's on, don't like that. You know what I'm talking about? We spent, and some of you might have a little bit more on this, we spent six of our years eating. 8.6% we spent eating. Some of you might be a little bit more, I don't know. Some of you might be a little bit less. We spend another, we spend the same amount, 8.6% of our lives, guys, in travel. I wish we would travel more, but think about that. Out of your whole life, you're going to travel six years out of your whole life. And now you're saying, no wonder I don't get a vacation. Are you kidding me? 4.5 of those years are going to be spent in leisure. Do you realize that four years out of your life, 5.7% is going to be spent in illness? Four, four years out of your whole life, you might spend inside the hospital, or you might spend, just remember, 24-7, four of your years all the way through. Two of those years out of your whole life, you're going to spend getting dressed. 2.8% of your whole life, you're going to spend getting dressed. Now, I don't know. It might be higher for women. I don't know because uh, you go in the, you look in the mirror, you go, I don't like this outfit. It doesn't match. Change, change, change. I get it. That's what it might be. And did you know that only 0.07%, not even 1%, is going to be spent on religion. You go, what's that? Going to church and serving. Out of 70 years, you're going to spend 0.05 of that in service to God. Somebody estimated this. When you all add it up, it's 70 years, and it's 100%. Where do we spend the most of our time? We spend the most of our time sleeping. We spend the second most of our time working and eating, watching TV. Guys, that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to live radical. He's called us not just to exist. What did you do today? I slept and ate and I went to work. Live radical. That's not it, guys. There's so much more that God has called us to do. There's so much more as God's Holy Spirit has just been inside you when you accepted him that he's saying, come on, man, I've got so much more for you. I'm calling you guys to be world changers. Come on, let's live radical. You go, Pastor, I don't know how to live radical. Just get up and live for Jesus. Just get up and follow him. Don't compromise your walk. The world is watching and going, hey, wait a minute. You're, you're doing something. This is crazy. Are you serious? Guys, think about it. It hits home when I think about this stuff. I'm going, man, what am I doing? Because we are called to live to, for so much more in this life. And that, church, is where we pick up our story tonight. It's about a man, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. That's who we're going to look at, Zacchaeus. And you might have known this if you've grown up in church. You might have heard the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was. You guys know that, right? 
I'm going to blow your mind tonight just a little bit, okay? So we're going to start off with Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. His life was turned upside down when he had an encounter with Jesus, and at that point, it looked radical. Go with me, Luke chapter 19, look at verse 1. It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, when we were in Israel, I wish we could have gone to Jericho. You can't. It's part of the West Bank, and we just couldn't go. We sort of passed it, but Jesus at that time comes walking through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way. He comes walking through. He says, now behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was rich. So let me give you some quick points, okay? Then we have to chat for a moment. You go, what's that? Jesus, Jesus is coming in. He's going into Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, right? Now, who does he have? He has his disciples with him. Everybody with me? He's got his disciples. He's got his posse. Let's go, fellas. We're going up to Jerusalem. Come on. Peter, quit playing over there. Come on, let's come. And, and, and so he's going with his posse, right? Simply passing through. Now, there's a guy, and his name is Zacchaeus. Now, if you're taking note, remember, you get extra credit in heaven for taking notes, but you can jot this down. Zacchaeus' name, you know what it means? Pure and innocent. That's what his name means. And I'm like, wow, Zacchaeus, pure and innocent. This is funny because his mom, he, she's, his mom, oh, look, it's a boy. What are we going to name him? Pure, pure and innocent. Pure and innocent. And yet he's grown up while well, he's actually grown up to what? To be the opposite of pure and innocent. You go, how so, Ben? How do, what are you talking about? You know what Luke tells us? Luke tells us that he was a chief tax collector and that he was very rich. Now we need to chat for just a moment, okay? We need to take a moment to do a comparison. You go compare what? Well, first of all, let's compare Zacchaeus' life to what we would call our B.C. days, right? Our B.C. days is before we really jumped in the pool, before we really gave our lives to God, before we really surrendered wholeheartedly, our B.C. days, before Christ's days. And then let's compare Zacchaeus to our current world right now, all that's going around us. Tax collectors, right? Zacchaeus, he's pure in heart, but he's a chief tax collector. You go, Ben, yeah, I get this, but let's, let's chat for a moment. Okay. These were Jewish men that sided and worked for Rome. They worked for Rome, right? Now, keep this in mind. The Jewish people hated tax collectors, hated them, despised them. Are you kidding me? If you were a tax collector, it was like, oh, I mean, worse than the Ninevites were the tax collectors. You go, Pastor, why, 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 why? What's going on? Well, listen, first and foremost, you can realize that they were corrupt. You know that. They were corrupt, right? You didn't even want to see them at the grocery store because they were corrupt. You knew he took your money. You go, what do you mean? A tax collector would say, hey, listen, they would get the bill and say, okay, Tamri owes 20 bucks taxes. He'd go knock on Tamri's door. Tamri, give me 40. She didn't have a choice. She couldn't go, I don't have it. You know what? Because you didn't mess with Rome. And so, and so they had known, the Jewish people had known. So she gets out her checkbook, 
She gives him the 40 bucks, and he walks away, and he was rich. You with me? You go, okay, well, they were corrupt. No big, listen, pastor, listen, as long as they left me alone, I can live with giving them an extra 20 bucks. He'll get his, and he'll get his at the end of the day. No, 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 stay with me. Rome, at this time, ruled the world from England to India. They ruled the world. You realize they're such a powerhouse. In order to fund an army that rules the world, it took a massive amount of men and a massive amount of money. Rome ruled the world, not by politics, but by power and strength. Rome ruled with this iron fist, and if you turned on Rome, you would be immediately executed. You'd be killed. You'd be hung on the cross for all to see, so you didn't mess with Rome. Now, here's what it gets interesting, okay? So how does Rome, how does Rome rule the world from India all the way to England? How do they do this, right? By collecting taxes to fund an army. So let's say, let's go back to our scenario. Let's say that her tax bill was $20 when I'm, I'm going to take 40, so 20 for me. But actually her taxes were probably about $2, but I'm going to charge her an extra 18 so that I can fund Rome. So I can fund this army. Now, if I do that to all of you, wow. You can see why the Jewish people hated them. You know, you know your taxes were like two bucks. Now they're charging you 40 and you're just going, oh. But that's just the half of it, guys. Rome didn't care. Didn't care for any of the people at all. They had no, no feelings. Often you would hear stories of Roman soldiers who would come in and invade a city. And they would come in and the first thing they do is they would take what wasn't theirs. They'd come into your house, they'd come into the city, they'd go, hey, I want that. And they would take it. Now, I'm going to take this. Oh, you know what? My wife needs a brand new, boom, I'm going to take this. This is what I want. They would come into your house. For example, when they came into your house, they didn't, they didn't, guys, listen, they didn't care for any of the people. They would come in and they would actually rape the women. Their, your wives and your daughters in the house, the Roman soldiers would come in and they, they would do that. They would spare no male. They would kill your sons. They didn't care. They're invading this territory. They'd steal your stuff, guys. They'd steal your stuff. You'd hear about these horror stories. You're like, oh my goodness. I, you know, over in, in, in Plainview or in Amarillo, I heard that the Roman army came in and, and they wiped everybody out. And I have friends and I have family in Amarillo. And how would you feel? How would you feel? You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Listen, the people hated the Roman army because they often brought death and destruction and they had no remorse for their actions. They actually laughed. (laughs) So if you were a tax collector, or even worse, if you were a chief tax collector, guess what? You were joining forces with the army whom you hated for all the destruction, for the heartache, the death, the confusion, the chaos, the hurt, and the pain they would bring. Could you imagine? Could you imagine your neighbor across the street being a tax collector, working for Rome, 
you would despise that. Why? Because his very job is what's causing destruction around the world. He's out there mowing his lawn. Hey, neighbor, you're like, you would hate him that you you with me? So Jesus is walking through. Think about, think about Simon, one of his disciples. He's called Simon the Zealot. You know what zealot means? It means he was zealous. He was zealous for Israel. So, so he wanted to see Rome done. He wanted Israel to reign. He was zealous. And so, so think about Simon, right? Imagine with me. As they're walking through Jericho, how he would have thought and looked like a man, like Zacchaeus. Oh, Jesus, don't, don't talk to that guy. He's a chief tax collector. Long live Israel. Israel needs to reign. Not Rome. Jesus, don't even. Don't even. Could you imagine? You remember that song, If Looks Could Kill? I am pretty sure that if Simon the zealot looked at Zacchaeus, it would have been like, die, sucker. Zacchaeus was what? Guys, he was an employee of Rome. And the Bible also says a very important characteristic that he was rich. He was rich. And you could imagine. So here's my question. What does Zacchaeus really need in life? He's rich. He's got power. He's working for Rome. What did he, what did he really need? He had money, he had position, he had power. Sure, his own people hated him, but what did he care? You know why? Because Zacchaeus was living as a natural man, and even though he had a rich spiritual heritage, Remember, the Bible will say he's a descendant of Abraham. Wait a minute, Pastor, what did you just say? Zacchaeus had a rich spiritual heritage, and yet he wasn't saved at this point. Why is that? Church, listen, listen, listen. Because heritage doesn't save you. Man, listen, it's wonderful to grow up in good Christian homes, but it's every one of us that's going to have to make the decision for ourselves. We're not going to, we're not going to be able to hang on to the coattail, if you will, of our spouse, hoping that we can get into heaven because they have been a good Christian and we haven't ever made that decision. And vice versa. See, Zacchaeus, he had a rich spiritual heritage. And yet he's thinking in the natural man, why? I'm working for Rome. I'm working for Rome. And I'm thinking, can we relate or what? Here's what I want you to think about, guys. Think about the days before you surrendered your life to Jesus. Before you had that defining moment. I think all of us in this room, in one way or another, were like Zacchaeus, a lot of us. We, were, we, we just didn't think in the spiritual. My testimony is just really simple. I said, God, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven. If I'm bad, I'm going to hell. You decide. And I walked out the door, and that was it. 
I'm thinking about that, guys. Think about that for just a moment. We all have to make that decision where we say, yes, I surrender my life to Jesus. And what happens is that you've got an enemy going, don't do it. You've already done it. Listen, you come from a long line of Christians. You're okay. I think it was when you were two and a half, you said Jesus and you were saved. Don't worry about it. And we've never made that that full on, why? Because pride gets us in the way. We're afraid to go, Lord, I just, listen, it's not about this. It's about me and you, and I want to be, I want to be right with you. The Bible tells us, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, he says, the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's law. It never will. The what? The sinful nature, guys. And then James writes writes this, he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend with the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. So that's Zacchaeus. He's an enemy of God. Zacchaeus, who's your father? Father Abraham had many sons. I'm not one because I work for Rome. That's what he's thinking. Because he's, he's, at, he's at war with God. Guys, do you remember when you were at war with God? Oh, Pastor, I was never at war. Listen, that's exactly what he just said. He said, listen, don't you realize that when you were in friendship with the world, that you what? That you had a, God was your enemy. What does it say about the world? Think about the world we live in. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, 15-18, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For if the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17 says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What's he saying, guys? Guys, the world is passing away. This thing that you that we hold on so desperately, the things that we want to make our mark, I've got to make my mark in the world. He says it's passing away. He says, listen, you know what's really in the world? He goes, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, but check this out. He who does the will of God abides forever. You ready? Those who do... Who do those who do the will of God, they live radically. They live radically. Now, as we make our way through the rest of this text, guys, I want to draw your attentions to what I call roadblocks to Jesus. You go, roadblocks? Yeah. I call them hurdles. Some of you call them potholes. Whatever obstacles, right? Why? Because we know the story. Zacchaeus, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get a glimpse. There he was. He was a descendant of Abraham. He wanted to see this Yahshua, Jesus. And he heard he's in Jericho and he's like, I've got to see him. I've got to see him. But we need to understand that there are some what? There are some obstacles in life that keep us from seeing Jesus. You ready? Jot this down. The first thing, money. Money. Why? Well, Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus was very rich. Zacchaeus was not a guy who plugged in his iPod at the party. He was a guy who actually rented the band. He had that much money. Zacchaeus wasn't looking at the cheap paper plates. He was looking at the really nice ones. Spare no expense. 
get the nice ones. He was very rich. He was very rich. And I'm sorry to say, guys, but there are people in this world that, that money is an obstacle in coming to Jesus. And many times we see people put their faith and trust in money. And how much? Listen, listen. You guys know this, okay? You guys know this. I'm preaching to the choir, but let me say this. How much do you leave when you go? You leave all of it here, don't you? How much do you leave? How much do you get to take with you? And yet, guys, it's the stumbling block that the enemy uses us to get us from coming to Jesus. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. How much is enough? Money. Think about it, guys, really. It's a stumbling block. It's a huge roadblock to Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 24, he said this, guys, to us, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. He's really simple. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You're going to be loyal to one. Or you won't be loyal to another. Jesus, in speaking about, you guys remember the rich young ruler? Remember when he walked away sorrowful? You know what he said? Verse 24, Matthew 19, he says, and again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How so? What do you need? What do you need? I got my bank account. I'm taken care of. Taken care of. Our Savior, our Lord, said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye. And I don't what that means, it could be it could be a needle in Israel, it could be the gate called the needle for a camel to go through. I don't know, it could be a needle. But I know this, it says it's easier for that to happen than for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Because our hearts are bound on riches and it keeps us from coming to Jesus. Now, Pastor, now listen, listen, you need to jot this down, okay? I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to have money. A pastor who went to church, he said, I shouldn't have any money. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is it can be an obstacle in seeing Jesus in your real need for him. In his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, which is what? Which is radical living. Chuck Swindoll tells a story. Men who trap animals in Africa for zoos in America say that one of the hardest animals to catch is called a ring-tailed monkey. For the Zulus, however, it's simple. You go, what do you mean? They've been catching those little critters for ease for years. Their trap is nothing more than a melon growing on a vine. The seeds of this melon are, the, are a favorite for the monkeys. So the Zulus cut a hole in the melon just large enough for the monkey to insert his hand and reach for the seeds. The monkey grabs a handful of seeds, but when he tries to withdraw it, he can't because his fist is now larger than the hole. He'll pull and tug and fight the melon for hours, but he can't get free unless he gives up the seeds. 
but he refuses to do so. And meanwhile, the Zulu sneak up and nab him. A lot of people are like that. They're holding on. Holding on. And it's like, listen, you want to come to Jesus? Let's go, no, I need this. So money's an obstacle. Let's read about some other ones. Look at verse 3. So Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus, who he was, but he could not because of the what? The crowd. He couldn't see because of the crowd. Why? For he was of short stature. Do you guys see that? So a second hurdle, guys, you can jot this down, is the crowd. The crowd. The crowd's in the way. You see, one hurdle was getting past the crowd. It's getting past the crowd. You've, you've often heard that saying, it's hard to see the forest for all of the trees. You go, yeah, I never really understood that. Well, it's an expression used of some who are too involved in the details of her problem to look at the situation as a whole. It was the crowd that was keeping Zacchaeus from coming to Jesus. And I started to think about this, guys. I guess the question in our lives is, what is your crowd? What is your crowd keeping you from seeing Jesus? You know what? I would go out on a limb. It's just my opinion, guys. But I would tell you that, that a, a, a crowd in the life of, of, of a many, many people from coming to see Jesus at this point, from getting saved, is what we would call Christian atheists. Christian atheists. You go, what is, what's a Christian atheist? That's an oxymoron. Are you serious? That's like jumbo shrimp. I mean, you can't, it doesn't work. It's, listen, it's those who claim to follow Jesus but live like the world. And those are, and people see that and they're like, I thought, I thought you were, I thought, listen, don't you believe? Don't, don't you really, I mean, you're preaching it. You're preaching it. You've got the shirt. But do you really believe this? You're not living it. And so you know what, you know what, you know what the Zacchaeus is out there in the world see? They go, I can't see Jesus. I mean, come on, guys, I can't see Jesus. He's not asking us to be perfect and walk and, oh, you know, and all holier than thou, but he's asking us to be real, and he's asking us to live what we believe. That's all he's asking. Guys, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? who died for you and has a plan for your life and who now lives inside you? Do you believe that? You go, I think so. Do you believe it? You go, yes, I believe it. Then live it. That's all you got to do is live it. The world is going to deem you radical. Why? Because you're going to be outspoken. Well, here's what the world is doing. It's all going this way, and you're going to go, no, That's not right. That's not what my Jesus would want me to do. So I'm going to go this way. Radical, crazy. Come on, everybody's doing it. No, 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 no. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. You know what I think too, guys? I wrote this down here. I think think sometimes Christians in general become, become the crowd in blocking other people to see Jesus. You go, what do you mean? Just my opinion, okay? So I'm standing over here. Just my opinion. You guys remember the incident on United Airplane? Right? You know that whole... And if, you, if you're if you on Facebook, I mean, the comments went forever. 
But I read one comment that just intrigued me, right? So you guys know the story, right? The, the, the airline's overbooked. In the fine print, you realize that if they overbook, they can ask you to leave and you have to get off the airplane. Yeah, I paid my ticket. Well, in the fine print, nobody reads the fine print. I don't. But they can say, and if you don't, and they'll offer, they'll offer you, but if you don't, right, if you don't, what do they do? They can randomly, com- the computer randomly says, you, you need to get out, and you know what? By law, you need to get off. Well, you guys know the story, right? What happened? He refused to get off. No, I'm not going. I paid my price, right? And so everybody, you know, tink, right? So they got their cell phone, and here's this guy going, ah! And we're just like outraged. There's comments like, I can't believe United. I mean, all these memes with United. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I saw one comment that just spoke to my heart. And you go, why? Not one Christian stood up and said, no, 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 no. Leave him alone. I'll get off. Leave him alone. I'll, I'll get off. Not one believer said, church, we're... We're quick to do this. Instead of going, listen, listen, th- there's no need to hurt him. I'll do it. Well, why would you do that? Because <laughs> I love Jesus. And I'll call my wife and I'll tell her, sweetie, we've got a $900 voucher. I'll be home a little bit later. But I didn't want to see. And I don't care what his past was. I don't care what. I mean, I'm just saying, guys. And I think sometimes as believers, we we're blocking. We're blocking those who need to see Jesus. How about this? How about the third one? The Bible says, well, that the crowd was there, and he says, but he was short stature. You guys with me? Now, here's where it gets interesting, right? Zacchaeus was a short man, and he couldn't see above the crowd. But as I was studying this, as in I was studying him, is also pointed that stature could also mean, jot this down, his position in life, his employment, would not allow him to get close to the rabbi. So, yeah, he's a little dude, but he's not like, I just need to see Jesus, right? I mean, he was like, he was like, the crowd around him was like, ooh, you know, just, no, you're going to stay, that's our rabbi. Guys, do you realize that Zacchaeus at this point was an outcast of society? And his status didn't let him get close to Jesus? You you realize that, right? Now, we don't face a whole lot of that, but think about this. Can you imagine if you were a social outcast? Can you imagine... That's exactly what he is. He's like, he wants to see Jesus, and because of what he does, I thought, wow, wow. It seems like Zacchaeus had both a height problem and a social problem. And you know, both of those kept him from coming to Jesus. Now it gets radical. You ready? This is going to get good. Trust me. So what does he do? Look at verse 4. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
And so he made haste and he came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with this man who's a sinner. Okay? Now, here's where you got to pay attention, okay? Here's where you got to pay attention. This is where the transformation begins. You go, why? Everybody, look at verse, look at verse 4 again. Where did, where did Zacchaeus run to? Help me. What kind of tree? A sycamore tree. Very good. A sycamore tree. Now, to us, we go, it's a sycamore tree. What the, what's, what's up with that? You just ran up a tree. I mean, that's even short. The guy got up a tree. No, 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 no. Stay with me, right? Zacchaeus ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree. No big deal. But there's much, much more. You see, the sycamore tree comes from the family of a mulberry tree or something called a sycamine tree. So you got a mulberry, sycamine, sycamore. They're all in the same family. You with me? You're like, Ben, what's with the tree? Okay, hold on to your hats, okay? At this point, we could imagine that there were a lot of people who were probably very bitter and angry towards Zacchaeus. He's taking your money. He's stealing your stuff. He's funding that army. He's like, nah. That's probably what kept him. Is like, man, keep that guy away. Okay? There's probably some unforgiveness. Zacchaeus, you took my... Oh, they didn't forgive him, did they? Well, I'm a descendant of Mary. I don't care who you are. Okay, hang on, guys. Hang on. Because Zacchaeus, guys, was a stinking, corrupt tax collector. When you understand everything that is connected into the sycamine tree, you'll know exactly why Jesus actually used this picture over in Luke 17. But he's going to use it as an example of bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm like, Zacchaeus ran up a sycamine tree. He just, wow. Okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, when Jesus over in Luke 17 was speaking to his disciples, he kept speaking of getting rid of what? Bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness in our heart and unforgiveness. He told the disciples that they needed to forgive those who sinned against them. So the illustrative picture, guys, check this out. The illustrative picture is both for Zacchaeus and both for the crowd around him. You go, what, what, what? I love the fact that Zacchaeus ran up that tree. Because for Zacchaeus to run up that tree, it was almost like he was praying that if he would see Jesus, Jesus would forgive him. You go, what are you talking about? Okay, okay, let's look at some characteristics of a sycamore tree. You ready? Number one, a sycamine tree in the family, sycamore tree, had a very large and deep-rooted structure. These trees would grow everywhere, but the roots would go so deep that you can just come and kill the tree. It would not die. The only way you could kill a sycamine tree is to get deep and, and just uprooted. That's the only way. He runs up this tree, right? I just wonder why he ran up this tree. Well, you go, well, if you compare it to Luke 17, Jesus used this tree as an example of bitterness and unforgiveness because like the sycamine tree, bitterness and unforgiveness must be dealt where? At the root of the problem. Or guess what? They rise up again. They rise up again. Wow. 
Zacchaeus is climbing up and he's going, listen, guys, listen, this, this unforgiveness and this bitterness, it has to be dealt at the, at the root of your hearts. You go, what else? Number two, the sycamine tree produced a fig, guys, that was very bitter to eat. The mulberry tree produced a fig that, that only rich people ate. It was good. But the sycamine tree, it was a fig, but it was bitter. Only poor people ate the fig. Why? Because they could barely eat it just a little bit at a time, just a little bit at a time, just a little bit. Why? Because they just couldn't eat it all. It was extremely bitter. In order to consume the entire sycamine fig, the, the eater had to nibble it a little at a time. And here's the point. You ready? The fruit of bitterness and unforgiveness is bitter, tart, and pungent. And like the fig, most people who are bitter and filled with unforgiveness, they chew on their feelings for a long, long, long time. Number three, the sycamine tree, guys, was polluted only by wasps. It's very interesting to note that the sycamine tree was not naturally pollinated. The pollination process was only irritated when the wasp stuck its stinger right into the heart of the fruit. Thus, the tree and its fruit had to be stung in order to be reproduced. You go, wow. I wonder how many times You've heard a bitter person say, I've been stung by that person once and I'm not going to be stung again. What he did hurt me so badly that I'll never let him get close enough to sting me again. And I would venture to say, much like Zacchaeus did when he collected the funds and taxes for Rome. Last one, the sycamine tree, its wood was preferred wood for building caskets. When you cut down the tree, guess what it was used for? Dead bodies. The sycamine tree was preferred wood for building caskets and coffins. What a powerful message this is. It tells us, you ready? It tells us that, that bitterness and unforgiveness are deadly. Harboring bitterness will spiritually bury you more quickly than anything else. At this point, guys, Zacchaeus is going up the very tree that Jesus knew and he actually used in Luke 17 just a a few minutes, a a few chapters earlier. He's going, (laughs) and Zacchaeus is going, listen, I know there's a lot of people who, who haven't forgiven me and I know there's a lot of people who have bitterness against me. And so what does he do? He climbs up the only tree that would represent that. And what does Jesus do? He comes walking by, guys. He comes walking by, and what does he say? Notice what he says. He looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, get down. Hurry up. For today, I must stay at your house. 
Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing, guys? Isn't that amazing? This is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. You go, why? Jesus says, listen, the sycamine tree, the sycamore tree, with everything that it represents, get down. Hurry, hurry, get down. You no longer have to live there. You no longer have to, you don't have to own that tree anymore. Get down. Why? He says, hurry and get down. Why? Because I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house. Get down, guys. Get down from the unforgiveness and the bitterness. Now, something happens between verses 7 and 8. You go, what's that? He has an encounter with Jesus. For his life is radical going forward. Look, then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, look, Lord, I have half my, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So right here in the profile of Zacchaeus, guys, he understood forgiveness. He understood love. He understood peace. He understood joy. And he finally grasped repentance. And that's what radical living means, is that when we finally understand these things. You see, listen, guys, there's a lot of encounters out there, but here's the question. Have you had an encounter with the God that created you? Why? Because look look what happens. He starts to live radical. You go, what does he mean? Note the radical living. Number one, he says, this is radical. Why? Because he's very rich, and he goes, I'm going to give half of my stuff to the poor. I'm going to give half of it to the poor. Take it. We're just going to We're just going to do what we can. Why would you give, right? Could you imagine Zacchaeus' wife? Are you crazy? You're giving half our stuff? No, you're not. Yes, I am. Why? I met Jesus. And, and, and there's much, much more to Jesus than stuff. That's radical, Zacchaeus. That's what I was going for. That's what I was going for. He goes, oh, okay, okay, sweetie. Well, just half the stuff, okay? No, you know what I'm going to do? He says, if I cheated anyone, I want to restore to them fourfold. Wow, imagine, there you are at home, you're sitting with your bag of Doritos right next to you, you've got your remote control, you're on your recliner, and you get a knock on the door, boom, 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 right? Your your wife looks out, oh my gosh, it's it's Zacchaeus, right? And you're just like, oh no, what does that crook want? Are you serious? I'm not, don't answer it, baby, don't answer it, boom, 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 boom. I see you guys in there, the light's on, right? Have you ever gone to a house and they look out and you're like, I see you right there. That's probably what happened. But he looks at him, and, he, and, and I mean, okay, so, so the man comes to the door, and he's like, okay. And he opens the door, and he says, yes, like, what are you going to take, taxes? And he says, um, you know, last time I charged you taxes, I cheated you. And I met Jesus, and he called me down from unforgiveness and bitterness and he restored to me my salvation and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you four times what I stole from you what's your question church why why who would do that who would do that because he's because he's changed he's radical I don't know why anyone would do that. You ready? 
the whole world is going this way, guys. And when we stand up and we say, okay, I'm going to love God first. I'm going to love his people. And all you have to do is follow Jesus and you're going to live radically. You're going to live radically. The world is so corrupt. When you stand up and just take a stand for God. You want to live radically? Ask forgiveness when you've wronged somebody. But, but sincerely mean it. You, because why? Because nobody does that. What do we say? Help me, church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you're sorrowful, but will you forgive me? I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? That's living radical. Why? Because you're showing, you're showing the love of Jesus. Zacchaeus, right? Something happened. Something happened. Is I wish, I wish. I mean, I can't wait to get to heaven and go, what happened between verses 7 and 8? He goes, you know, are you kidding me? We had this great encounter. We shared a meal together. My life was, my life was changed. My life was changed. Last verse, guys. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house because he is also a son of Abraham. Why? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Let's close with this, okay? The story of Zacchaeus is used, guys, by some to illustrate the saying of Jesus. Do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, you know what he says? He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does Zacchaeus' name mean? Pure. He saw God. When I was in Israel, I remember standing at the temple, at the temple, the, the wailing wall. And and I remember closing my eyes and saying, God, I, Jesus, I just want to see you. I just want to see you, Lord. The rabbis are all around us. Jewish people praying. Christians praying. And I turned around and, and I didn't see Jesus. Next day we went back to the Western Wall, I said, God, I just want to see you today. God, I just want to see you. I just, I just need a glimpse of you. I turned around and, and I didn't see him. And I remember looking outside our window and saying, God, I just, why can't I see you? What, why? And he gently reminded me, guys, that I did see him. I see him every day. I see him in you. I see him in you. When our hearts are entwined and our love for each other grows deeper than anything we could imagine, I see him in you. I see him in, on the sunrise. And the Lord reminds me, he says, I'm, I've been here the whole time. I see Jesus when, 
when there's the death of a precious saint. And his body or her body is lying here, but we know that they're never more alive. And he just reminded me, that's when I see him. You see, Zacchaeus saw Jesus. And let me give you the key. You ready? The key to living radically is you got to have an encounter with Jesus. You got to have an encounter with him. But you got to look for him. What a contrast to the rich young ruler, right? They both had money. Zacchaeus met Jesus. The rich young ruler met Jesus. You guys with me? But he didn't have an encounter, did he? He met him. What must I do to be saved? Follow the Ten Commandments. Which ones? I've kept all these from my youth. Go sell your stuff and give the money to the poor and come follow me. What? And he... My prayer for you tonight, guys, is that you would have an encounter with Jesus. You'd have an encounter with Jesus. Next week, our profile is Daniel. And we're going to see how he lived radically in the midst of a corrupt world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. We love you, God. We thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.